Book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writing, said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So for the next few minutes this evening, I simply want to preach on this thought, anxious for nothing. Anxious for nothing. If you'll smile at your neighbor, God bless you. you may be seated. So maybe it's a little hard to get those lips to quiver upwards, a little slow. I trust you did it with integrity. Amen. Praise God. On a recent long drive, which I detest, if it's longer than four hours, I'd like to have a plane. But on a recent long drive, uh, Bronson posed the following question to each of us. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? So we uh, kind of wrestled through, well, where do you start on that one? And um, we kind of ruled out uh, non-personal questions. So, you know, who am I going to marry and what's my purpose and all the, you know, those questions aside... That was an interesting conversation, to say the least, and uh, Bronson's question was about creation, and Olivia was, why do humans yawn, and um, things that scientists are desperately trying to figure out. But maybe influenced by NASA's recent release of the first images from the James Webb Space Telescope, which I found fascinating, and by pure random luck, happened to be on Twitter, Twitter. It's about how often I get on Twitter when uh, they were released. Like, bam, there it was at the top of my feed. I'm like, whoa, wow, check about this. Uh, so my question, no doubt influenced by that because I've been pondering that, and um, was simply, why so big? Why so big? If we're the apple of his eye and if, you and I are the center point of creation, which I believe from the Word of God we are, then, you know, why so big? Maybe you or maybe I can understand the solar system. You know where Earth rotates around the sun at just the precise distance that we both survive and thrive. But, you know, why the Milky Way? And then why a universe of galaxies beyond that? Why so big. But then my mind was instantly drawn to a familiar passage, Psalms 19 and 1, where the psalmist David declared, the heavens proclaim the glory of God, and the skies display his craftsmanship. It seems to me that God extravagantly demonstrated to every person on the planet his ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful glory. And he did so that you and I would always know every time we peer into that expansive universe of stars that we would know and that we would trust that he is God, that he really does love you and I, that his word is really true and that God will really take care of you and me. So let's take a quick trip together this evening, if you would, 
here in Atlanta. Hopefully you're seeing a view from space of our fair city, approximately 6.1 million people call the Atlanta Metropolitan Statistical Area home. We live sprawling across 29 counties, uh, people that call us this area home, covering 8,686 square miles. If you consider Douglasville and Covington to be the parameters of west to east, that's 57 miles. If you stretch it out to the statistical area, that's Villarica, the Rutledge, or somewhere along there, that's 82 miles. That is our fair city as seen from space. Yet, for however big you think Atlanta might be as the ninth largest metropolitan statistical area in the United States, our city only represents four hundred thousandths, that's five places to the right of the decimal point of the Earth's surface. Because you, you'd have to travel a lot further than from Douglasville to Covington to circle the Earth's uh, at the equator, you'd have to travel 24,901 miles to get around the Earth at the equator. That's a little bit further than from here to Rutledge. Amen? And yet, Earth, for all of its splendor, and the reality is, in spite of all that comes to our screen, for most of us, we will never even get a thumbnail's view or or uh, uh, amazement of the wonder of the planet we call Earth. And yet, you could fit one million Earths into the sun, which is 93 million miles away from, and which we and the other planets rotate around in our solar system. And, and just how big is that solar system, you ask? Uh, well, if you shrunk just the inner part where the planets rotate around the sun, if you shrunk that part down to the size of a football field, the sun would be a dime-sized marble on the goal line. I don't care how good your 50-yard line tickets are, you'd need some special binoculars if your quarterback is the size of a dime's marble on the goal line. Mercury, Venus, and Earth on that football field would be about the size of a grain of sand, dwarfed by even a flea, and they would sit in the middle of the field between that goal line and the three-yard line. Mars, and the two-yard line, Mars would be on the three-yard line. Neptune, the furthest planet you can get away from the sun, would be 60 yards away on the opponent's 40-yard line. And the Voyager 1 space probe, it's left the stadium because traveling 326 million miles a year, it has traveled that for 40 years now, and it still has not escaped the gravity pull of the sun. And even though it is now 100 times further away from the earth, from the sun than the earth is. That's just a taste of how big our solar system is. But buckle up your seatbelt because our solar system is only one of 3,797 planetary systems in the Milky Way galaxy. In fact, if you were to take the Milky Way galaxy and shrink it down to the size of the continental United States, our solar system that I just described would be like laying a quarter in the middle of Kansas compared to the Milky Way. 
and our sun, one million times larger than Earth, if you remember. It's just one of a hundred billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. But you can't disembark yet because while the Hubble Space Telescope stretched the known universe to over 100 billion galaxies, the Webb Space Telescope is now expected to expand the known universe to over 200 billion galaxies. In fact, there are more stars in the universe and there are grains of sand on every beach on planet Earth. The image you see is of Webb's first deep field picture that was released with much fanfare on Monday, July 11th, that photo that popped up on Twitter. It is teeming with thousands of galaxies. All of those dots, those sparkles, those colorful arcs, those are not stars, those are galaxies. And so when you look up into the sky tonight, though, that, that picture, that picture that has thousands of galaxies captured, that picture is the equivalent of a grain of sand held at arm's length as you stare up into the universe, a universe filled with billions of galaxies. And so I ask you, why so big? Why take the time to show for us on an intergalactic journey tonight? You thought school was over. Well, the psalmist declared, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship day after day, they continue to speak, and night after night, they make him known. We're headed for our text this evening. I know you're anxiously awaiting, trying not to be anxious for nothing. But before we get there, it is important, and I'm inviting you to lift up your eyes and see your ever-present all-knowing, all-powerful God, that though there are more than 100 billion galaxies containing hundreds of billions of stars within each one, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 40 and 26, look up into the heavens. God was speaking to his people. Who created all the stars. He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each of each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. And you thought doing your ABCs was worth a milkshake on the way from home. God knows the name and does not miss a one of the tr billion trillion stars in the universe. That's your God. And the heavens declare his glory. And though the ever-expanding expanse of the known universe defies my ability and my, my, my mental capacity to adequately describe to you, Isaiah captured again in verse 12 of chapter 40, the Lord said this, Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? 
Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and the hills on a scale? That is our God, ladies and gentlemen. Brothers and sisters, the heavens declare the glory of God. Our God is more than enough. Listen to David's revelation in Psalms 8. May be written as he gazed into the nighttime sky. David said, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who has set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? But nevertheless, you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You see, in light of the universe, us mere mortals are indescribably insignificant. But in light of our God, that universe is indescribably insignificant. And that is why we should consistently lift up our eyes and behold the majesty and the power and the wonder of our great God. If you haven't been speechless at God in a while, you just need to go out tonight, pray it's not a thundercloud, and look up into your sky and just imagine how awesome and how amazing and how powerful, yet however present your God is because it is his word it is the revelation of his word that transforms our insignificance and our helplessness into an acute awareness of who we are in him our divine authority in him our divine value in him and if he knows us and if he is for us, and if he is a God that is more than enough, then really why should we worry? Let's go to Matthew 6, where Jesus is teaching during the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, the end of chapter 6, verse 25, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? I'm not sure. Some people live to eat, but ultimately you can eat to live. Jesus said, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. They don't have a retirement plan. They don't have a six-month nest egg. They don't have a golden parachute. They don't have a second degree. They, 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 they don't even have a hospital. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. The God who measures the universe with his fingers 
feeds the birds. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? It's pretty insulting, but Jesus tells the truth. He is the truth. You can worry. You can worry all the way to the grave. But it doesn't change a thing. Verse 28. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They do not work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. If God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Ouch. So don't worry about these things saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And a bazillion other questions that you and I insert in that verse. Jesus said, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Do you really believe that? That your heavenly Father already knows all that you need. He is not asleep. He doesn't take vacations out to the beyond the universe. He is all present, ever present. He is an ever present help in the time of trouble. He can measure the universe with his fingers, but yet he knows the number of hairs on your head. Few or many, God is involved in your life. He knows where you're at. He was where you were at before you got there. He's already at where you will ever be. God's there. He's prepared the way. He knows what's in front. He knows what's behind. He knows the end from the beginning, and he knows knows the names of every star in the universe, but yet he knows your name. So ask yourself this question. If God, who measures the universe with his fingers and feeds the tiny birds and cares for the wildflowers on earth, will he not take care of me? So no wonder that Paul would write near the conclusion of his letter to the Philippians. It is no wonder. It's not out of left field. It's not a one-off. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul invites you and I as spirit-filled believers to live a life without constantly ruminating negatively over everything we don't know and everything that we can't control. We're worse than cows out in the field about ruminating on junk that we have chewed over, spit up, ate back. I mean, it's like the parable gone bad. 
of the dog that returns to its, right? That's what it's like when we just constantly are ruminating over and over and over and over, and we think that we are the greatest fortune tellers on the planet. I mean, we, there is no prophet like us. We stare into the unknown in the future, and we create the darkest, worst possible scenario of the most painful infliction upon all of humanity, and, and, and yet you and I couldn't win a, a raffle between us and our dog, and yet we think that we're a prophet of the future. That is not what God calls us to be. He calls us to be anxious for nothing. Paul is not sharing folklore. This is not a feel-good motivational tactic. I'm not a licensed counselor. You don't owe me anything uh, but Paul is clear. His admonition is rooted in the prevailing truth of who God is and what God does for his people. So when we examine the heavens and the glory of God, you and I have to believe. We have to root our life on the foundation of this truth. We are not alone. We are a speck on a speck planet that is a speck compared to the sun that is an indistinguishable speck in the galaxy way that cannot be found within the expanse of the universe, but we are not alone because we are the most valuable speck in that expansive universe for we were formed by his hands in his image and he breathed into us the breath of life and we became a living soul. You are not a random cluster of cells trying to survive a vicious world. You are a son and a daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a holy purpose. You have a calling. And if Satan could kill you, he'd already done it. And if Satan could distract you from his purpose, he'd already derail you. You have meaning. You matter. You're not alone. And God is for you. He is not against you. So quit entertaining thoughts and feelings of insignificance, worry, abandonment, fear, helplessness, and anxiety. We are called to abandon those thoughts, to quit making many movies in our mind about these things, but instead to turn to God in prayer. Amen? I'm not sticking my head in the sand of physiological challenges and the complexity of mental illness. But I am preaching to the vast majority of us that we do have a mind that can take dominion over our emotions and we can absolutely turn to God in prayer and we do not have to be anxious for everything we do not know and cannot control. We can turn to God a God who abides in us, a God who is as close as the mention of his name. He knows the furthest outmost star of the universe, but he hears you when you whisper his name. That's the privilege of being a spirit-filled believer, that we can directly petition God 
for whatever we need. And it's not Sunday school, and it's not a fairy tale that there is nothing too hard, there is nothing too big, there is nothing too complex for our God. He hears our prayer. He delights in our thanksgiving, and he will take care of us, and we can trust him. Amen. I know you have to ruminate on that. You like to be the martyr. There's just some people that always want to be the martyr in every story. They live life. They're always the martyr. God didn't call you to be the martyr. God called you to be an overcoming, triumphing son and daughter of Jesus Christ. Quit playing nightmares. Quit listening to horror shows in your own brain. You're the worst producer on the planet. Look at your, lift up your eyes and look unto Jesus and be anxious for nothing. That's not even the end of the story. Because when we pray, Paul said, we discover a preeminent peace that saturates and protects our mind and our heart. The next verse in Philippians 4 and 7, and the peace of God, who is the prince of peace and the God of peace, which surpasses all human unbelieving understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God exchanges his prevailing peace for our debilitating anxiety, and that's an exchange you and I ought to be running to the throne of grace to make every single day of our lives. Take your anxiety, take your worry, take your unanswered questions, and run to the throne of grace. There is a God who is willing to take that trash and that lie and that false narrative, and he will give you back a peace that is preeminent, a peace that prevails, a peace that stabilizes, a peace that secures your heart and your mind. No wonder Paul is clear and direct. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. It's not insignificant if it's bothering you. In everything, go to God in prayer. For sure, none of us are immune from worry. I don't care if you talk in tongues, your tongue turns blue every morning, and you eat one meal every two weeks for 60 straight years, you are not immune from worry. None of us are invincible to anxiety. The attack of anxiety, the entrapment of worry is not a sin. We're human and we have an adversary who is the accuser of the brethren and sisters. None of us are immune. But we all have a God. And the heavens declare the glory and the power of that God. On multiple levels, this has not been the most refreshing summer I've ever experienced. I won't blame it on God, but a couple of weeks as I got in the bed, I was a little, I was mad. And I, 
I had some questions. <laughs> I did. And uh, I had this, this Paul's passage in my mind already feeling that that was for tonight. And so somewhat on a whim, I grabbed my notepad. So I went to bed, drew a line down the middle. I like grid note paper so I can doodle. And I drew a line down the middle, and I wrote. I looked at it today. I don't know. And I had pressed ink. <laughs> I was filling it. I do not know. And I filled it with questions to which the only answer I have is, I don't know. Some were new. Some were old. Some related to unfulfilled promises from God. Some were personal. Some were family. But the answer is, the real answer is, I don't know. So I wrote away. And then on the other side, I simply wrote after I was done with that. And I used more words than what you'll see. I went, be still and know that I am God. That's what I wrote on the other side. Because that's what the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And, oh, I mean, ultimately, that's all you need to know. But then I wrote, all that we need to know, Hebrews 11 and 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then I wrote our text tonight. Be anxious for nothing. And then I started listing other passages about the goodness and the greatness of God. And then there was an undeniable presence of the Lord that filled the room, and I didn't even have to pay a counselor for that. <laughs> Thank God. They might tell you to journal if you go to them. But. And so what am I trying to say? I, I understand I haven't preached a normal sermon tonight. We've taken a tour of the intergalactic universe and hope you enjoyed the ride. But that question, why so big, took me on that journey through the universe and then through the Word as I felt just led to share that with you this evening. There is definitely much I do not know. But I know enough because I know who He is. Our God is an ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful God who knows the stars by name and who measures the universe with his fingers. He is a God who loves me. He is a God whose word is true. He is a God who lives within me. He is a God who will take care of me. He is a God who will never leave me. He is a God who knows what is best for me. He is a God who is more 
than enough. And that fresh awareness ignites faith and it eradicates anxiety and it releases pervasive peace. So here's your take-home assignment. Go get you a notepad or your favorite note app and on one side write, I do not know. And you can grit your teeth and you can grimace and you can be mad. You can pout. You can be angry. It does not. Just write it all. Every question that bothers you, that troubles you, that is an attack of anxiety, that brings worry into your life, write them all down. It might feel frightening, but it will be liberating to be honest. Because then you're going to write a line down the middle or you're going to drop down below that in your app and write, I know that he is. And then start writing down all you know about the Lord. When I think about the goodness of God and all he's done for me, right? Start writing down Bible passages and writing down confessions of trust and writing down direct declarations of peace. You can live in the prison cell of anxiety. You can live entrapped in worry, but that is not God's purpose, plan, or will for your life. And every time you look up into that amazing sky and see the star, see the sun, see the moon, see what you don't even know, it's just bright out there, you can know that the God of the universe is for you. He loves you. He's on your side. He he will never abandon you. You are not alone. He lives inside of you. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Because this is how Paul described. This is how Paul described what it looks and feels like to live an anxiety-free life through the power and peace of God. Because he kept writing in Philippians 4 and 11, this is what happens this is your testimony when you put into practice what Paul taught us this evening. Be anxious for nothing in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and the peace of God, right? Paul said, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I appreciate the message Sunday of a revival vision. But one of the sure ways to cloud your vision and our vision is to become entangled with anxiety and worry. It will drag your head down. It will cover your eyes. And all you will see is woe me, woe me, and woe me. But if you can lift up your eyes and see your God, then know that anxiety can be torn away 
and the peace of God can bring in a clarity and a vision of your value, of your meaning, of your purpose, of your calling, that God is for you. He is fighting on your behalf. He's already there. He's already there. There's no problem. There is no challenge that he's not already there waiting on you, having prepared the way.